Welcome to the Dear Rochester Retire Well Podcast with David Pulsini from Six Point Financial Partners. In this podcast, find your path towards a brighter financial future with David as your guide as he helps individuals, educators, and healthcare professionals explore ways they can build wealth while minimizing risk using a multifaceted, comprehensive approach to personal finance. Are you ready to take the first step towards a brighter financial tomorrow? Let's get started. Being a financial advisor means planning for the unexpected. Clients are, after all, human and far from predictable. That is why the team at Six Point Financial works with a network of professionals to cover situations that may arise and need a specialist. And that need is especially true in the area of family and matrimonial law. That is the focus of this episode of Dear Rochester, Retire Well, hosted by David Pulsini of Six Point Financial. David, tell us about your guest, Allison Bates of Bates Family Law. Thank you, Patrice. I am really excited for today's podcast because we have a very special guest with us, Allison Bates. And I just want to give you a quick introduction to Allison. Many attorneys stumble into doing divorce work as a way to supplement their general practice. Allison is one of the few divorce attorneys who set out to work in divorce and family law right off the bat. She's a 2007 graduate of Albany Law School, and Allison went almost immediately into private practice and has always practiced exclusively in divorce and family law. She's represented thousands of clients in matters of divorce, child custody, and child support. She specializes in representing business owners and their spouses and clients with significant assets and income. Because of the nature of her clients, Allison works closely with other professionals, such as financial planners and accountants, to ensure that each client's financial future is protected and all of the aspects in the division of property are considered, such as tax consequences and impact on the client's estate. At Bates Family Law, clients can choose whether to hire Allison as their litigator or whether to engage in the process of mediation. Allison believes that the number one question an individual should ask a prospective attorney is how many divorce trials have you done? She believes the average client would be shocked to learn that a lot of divorce attorneys have actually never represented a client through trial. While trial is not a necessary in most cases, having an attorney who has extensive trial experience is invaluable because your attorney will know when to settle a case and when to push an issue. So sorry for that long introduction, Allison. Uh, wanted to make sure we got all that in there. That's It's a lot and it's a mouthful and clearly I read it, but let's get to uh, talking to Allison right now. And I just want to start off with Allison, welcome to the podcast and let's jump into it. What, what got you into practicing law in the first place? Um, you know, Dave, I was told from a very young age, I have memories, you know, four or five years old, people telling me you're going to be an attorney when you grow up. I was constantly arguing my way out of everything, negotiating everything. And it was just something that was kind of something I knew I would do from a very young age. That's cool. That's uh, an attorney is like one of those jobs that a lot of little kids say that they want to do and very few follow through with it. So good for you. (laughs) Good for you. Once you became an attorney, what made you want to specialize in divorce cases or divorce planning for, for your clients? It was before I even graduated law school, I knew I was going to go into divorce and family law. Um, It was something I had seen, you know, a lot of family members affected by, and it was something that I found fascinating. I had a phenomenal family law professor in law school and just went into it right off the bat. It's amazing how a good college professor will lead you down the right path. And I I kind of had the same thing, but obviously I work on the financial planning for clients and I see 
divorce is a huge deal with any financial plan. And I see what it can do to people financially. If you're going through a divorce case with somebody, what, what are the first steps you tell someone to take if they are planning on getting divorced or they're already in the process? Or maybe that's two different questions. <laughs> right. So, so I always tell clients to meet with me sooner rather than later. You know, I do complimentary consultations. And part of the reason I do that is because it makes my job a lot easier if people come in sooner. And I know that if there's, it's a complimentary consultation, they're going to be more willing to come in sooner. And there may be things that we can do um, from a legal perspective or working with their financial advisor or their accountant to make the divorce process a lot easier. Okay. So when we have a first meeting as a financial advisor, like the first meeting is always too very different than a divorce case. It's like, we're just trying to get to know somebody to see if they're a good fit for us, to see if we're a good fit for them. And maybe we can help them. Maybe we cannot. What does, if somebody comes in for a first meeting with you, what is, what is it like? What, what would they experience if they came in for a first meeting? Yeah. I mean, initially that, that same thing, we, I want to make sure that it's a good fit. It's someone that's going to be work. We're going to be working together for, for months and talking a lot and we have to be comfortable with each other. So it's important, you know, to make sure that it's a good fit. After that, what we're really doing is looking at a very detailed picture of the client or their spouse's financial, their assets, their liabilities. So there is a New York state form that anyone getting divorced has to fill out where they're going to detail for me, everything they own, everything they owe, all of their income and all of their expenses. And we kind of get started on that. And with that information, I'm able to see are there things that a client needs to be doing to prepare for this. And I can give them a pretty good projection of what to expect, not only uh, in the divorce, but um, what the tax implications are going to be, what other professionals they may need to loop in, whether it's a mortgage broker to get started on a refinance, their financial planner or their accountant. This stuff seems overwhelming. So like if I were getting divorced and I had no idea on where to even begin, how, how do you, literally, where do they start? I think starting by doing your research and finding a good attorney with a lot of experience, um, because then you don't have to worry about being overwhelmed. The attorney is going to walk you through step by step. And they've been through it so many times that you just kind of got to take it one day at a time. That financial form that I referenced that you, you would have to fill out is overwhelming. We tell clients to take it one page at a time, ask us along the way if you have questions. But really that first meeting, I can tell you every single client that's left my office after that first meeting says, I feel so much better. I understand a little bit what this is going to look like. And I just feel so much better leaving here. Oh, good. Now, obviously that's what you're there for. Can I ask you, some questions that I get as a financial advisor. You're going to love these that yeah, I get. <laughs> and I've, I've heard it over the years. So it, it, these are just a few of my favorites. I could probably ask you questions like this all day. And I'm, I'm sure you have some of your own, but it, you know what? I'm going to flip it. I'm going to be the guy that didn't come into the marriage with the money. So right. let me ask you this. If, and I had, this is a real question. If I signed a prenup with my wife right, and she had a house and she has $3 million right? And there is a prenup mm -hmm. and that 3 million turns into 7 million while we were, while we are married. By the way, I get a lot of opinions on this from different people that think they know what yeah. they're doing. So I'm glad you're, you're on here because you can set yeah. us all straight and I can always just push play and say, Hey, I know the answer. 3 million turns into 7 million while we are married of hers. What am I entitled to? 
That depends. Did the 3 million turn into 7 million just passive growth sitting in a retirement account? Market forces went from 3 million to 7 million. If that's the case, you're getting nothing from it. Um, if you're talking about a $3 million asset like a house and you put marital money, um, you know, sweat equity and time into improving the property and turning it into a $7 million house, then you would be entitled to the $4 million in active appreciation. So we always look, is the growth passive or is the growth active? The second issue that can come up is commingling. Your wife has a $3 million account and through the marriage, you're, you're putting money in or taking money out for marital purposes, you've co she's commingled that account. And then it's sometimes impossible to distinguish what part of the growth is due to the premarital funds and what part of the growth is due to the post-marriage funds. I can sometimes bring in an expert to sort that out, but depending on the nature of the transaction, sometimes it's been so commingled that something called transmutation happens where that asset is no longer a separate property asset, but has been transmuted into marital property. So that's a question where I really want to know, you know, more specifics when I'm talking with the client on what caused the growth and what activity was happening with that asset during the marriage. And anytime I ask, and you know this, you're an attorney, anytime you ask an attorney anything, the answer is always, it depends. So it's almost the same with us. <laughs> it's like, uh, it depends. If I were listening to this, I would just say, so listen, and I know the answer is going to be yes, but do you do this for me? Like I come in to see you that I don't want to deal with commingling and transmutation yeah. and all these tracking. And so you, you do this, right? We do everything. And, okay. and one thing I'll say about your prior question is you said, if I come into the marriage, wife has a $3 million account and we have a prenup. Just so you know, even if you don't have a prenup, that's still the case. If she comes in with a $3 million account, it becomes a $7 million account due to passive growth. Even if you don't have a prenup, it's still her separate property. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's only marital property if the marriage is doing something to grow that account, whether it's contributing finances or, you know, like I said, some sort of sweat equity situation, or you're mixing marital funds in that account. We take care of all that. As an attorney, I have the power to issue subpoenas. So I'll subpoena bank records. I'll subpoena retirement account records. I can subpoena people to, to testify or take depositions of. We do the work. Uh, and that's actually my favorite part of divorce cases, because I think if I didn't become an attorney, I would have loved to become a, an investigator with police. And so I love getting all that paperwork, sorting through it, trying to find out what the parties were doing. Was there anything shady going on? And sometimes I bring in a professional like yourself or a forensic accountant, you know, to work through those details. I think that's so cool too. I have one, one, and it's not a curveball question. It should be an easy one yeah. for you to answer is so that we find this in typical retirement accounts. So I, I'll, I'll just say for you, I show up with a million bucks in my retirement account. Yeah. I get married. I then contribute out of my paycheck. Then I get divorced. So the million is off the table, right? But the contributions would be like split. The contributions would be split. And also this and is growth. where I would need to bring in a forensic accountant yeah. because we would need to see the growth and what percentage of the growth is attributable to that million that you came in with. And what percentage of the growth is attributable to the contributions that were made during the marriage. Yeah, so the that's, contributions are going to be split 50-50. The growth is going to be split pro rata based on, is it attributable to separate property or marital property? Yeah. And I can tell you being on the financial side of it, working with investments, 
to split that up and then figure out what is attributable based on weighted averages and everything. That is a lot of work. So I'm, it's a lot of work and it's expensive. My advice is just keep it separate to start. Yeah. Um, if you come in with money, you come in with a house or you receive an inheritance during the marriage, just keep it separate. There's no need to mix it. You can get, you know, as many bank accounts as you want, keep it separate and you'll save yourself a lot of time and money and heartache. If you do get divorced. That's, that's good advice. It's uh. I, I have friends that their wives would say that, uh, no, we're mixing everything because we're married. Well, they probably came to see me and I probably gave them that advice. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Another question I get, I'll ask you two more of these. I, like I said, yeah. I could ask you 20, but, and this is very applicable to some clients that I have and that I know. So like if I'm in sales, just for example, I'm, I'm a salesperson or I'm in any job where my income fluctuates mm-hmm. and let's say my income goes up by 10 times this year, I make a bunch more money. And then my wife decides to divorce me. Mm-hmm. I, I believe she things are based on what I made, but what happens if my income, because it's variable, just drops back to where it was before? How do, how do you handle that? Right. So the statute says for you know a W-2 wage earner with a regular salary, we're going to use the prior year's income. So if you did have a great year or you're making a lot of money, we're going to use the prior year's income. And it would be on you next year to file for a modification to decrease those obligations if your income does in fact go down. The caveat to that is if you just have your income going up, we're gonna look at last year's income. But if you have a variable income that's up and down, up and down over the years, then we will look at a three or a five year average before calculating that. So the court says, as long as it's just slowly going up, there's no need to average it out. But when you have a situation where it's up, down, up, down, they will average it out to try to avoid coming back to court every other year to modify things. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, basically we have to go back. And the last one I'll give you on this, and I've heard this a lot over the years, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Uh, people tell their financial advisors everything, as I'm sure they do with their attorney. Oh, but yeah. So and I, this is a real question. And if this person is listening, they'll know who I'm talking about. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm planning on getting divorced in three years. I know that I'm getting divorced. My kids are going to be out of the house, whatever. I'm just waiting three years. So in the meantime, I am going to put all of my extra money into my mom's savings account, and then they'll never be able to find it. Is that, is that true in any way? Well, it's interesting that you use three years as an example. I don't know if you did that intentionally, but on the financial form that you have to fill out for New York State, the very last page asks, what transfers have you made in the last three years? There is a three-year look back on stuff like that. That being said, if, if you have somebody who knows that they're planning to get divorced in the future, that's why I say, come see me now. And I do have clients that come see me and I don't hear from them for a year or two years or three years. And that's okay because there are certain things you can do. I would have never recommend trying to hide money or put it in somebody else's name. But if you're planning to do those things anyway, whether you're getting divorced or not, then, you know, we should start making that plan. So for example, you have a hunting camp. You've always intended that that was going to be passed on to your sons. In the divorce, your wife would be entitled to half of the value of that that hunting camp, that land. But if you're going to give it to your sons anyway, you just kind of haven't gotten around to it, then now might be the time to work with an estate planning attorney or real estate attorney to, to gift that to your children that's something you were going to do anyway. So it wouldn't be criticized by the court. 
you know, if you were planning to pay for your children's colleges, maybe now's the time to set up 529 funds or, uh, or accounts or to set up trusts for your children so that you're able to pay for their college, their weddings, their, you know, first house. So as long as they're in the normal course of things and things that wouldn't be unreasonable for a person to do, then you, you can kind of get away with that. It's when you're hiding cash in your under your brother's mattress that, that we're going to have a problem. Okay. I, I, I thought that might be the answer. Most times when we're dealing with accounts, and again, I see this all the time, so I just want listeners to be able to hear this from you. Can you, I know you could take two days explaining this. So very quickly. Yeah. I hear this all the time. I mean, you probably heard it called a bunch of funny names on your side. I just call it a quadro, but you yep. hear QDO. Yeah, people always say it wrong, but <laughs> yep. so can you explain what that is? So quickly, when you get divorced and you're entitled to a portion of your, your spouse's retirement account, you can't just call up Xerox or Kodak and say, Hey, cut me a check for half. There would be so much mistake and fraud. So you have to submit something called a qualified domestic relations order. What it is, is it's a court order that's drafted by one attorney, approved by the other attorney, and submitted to a judge to sign off on. It's done after the divorce is finalized. And then that quadro is sent to the plan administrator with, it's got very specific instructions and a formula for how to divide the accounts. And that's the only way a retirement account can be divided. I should say a qualified retirement account. Obviously something like an IRA can be done through an administrative transfer with all attorneys approving the transfer. Okay. Yeah. And that's, we run into that all the time. 403B, 401k pensions. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, we see it all the time and I'd love, I'd love to hear your perspective on this question. Why does it take so long for, so if I'm working with, I'm making this up, the the wife who's going to get 200,000 from the husband's 401k as advisors, and maybe you can correct me on this. I always say it's, and maybe I just set the expectation this way. It's like, it's at least a year. Am I wrong? <laughs> from when? I mean, from when the divorce is finalized, if it's taking a year, you have the wrong attorney. Okay. <laughs> um, we actually here, we submit our quadros with the judgment of divorce for approval to the judge so that they can happen at the same time. It, it depends on how long it takes the person that's receiving the funds to do it. They've got to hire a new attorney. If they're not using their attorney for the divorce, they've got to have it drafted, have it approved by the other side. It shouldn't take that long. If it takes that long, your attorney's doing something wrong. In my opinion. Hey, just so you know, it's very common on my end for it to take that long. Maybe it's from the time right. somebody tells me they're getting divorced. I'll get that straight. Right. But, and the yeah. other thing is too, is a lot of people are financially wiped out after a divorce and they simply don't have the, the money or the energy emotionally to, to deal with it. So they say, you know, I'm just going to deal with it in a year. That money's not going anywhere. We do see people call the time, hey, I got divorced a year ago. I need a quadro done. So sometimes they just need a break. And they, they wait to do that. Yeah. And, and you don't have to answer this right now, but I just want, I see what I see on my end all the time is I'm going to get $200,000 from my husband, but he went crazy with the money and put it into extremely aggressive funds. Mm-hmm. Is that going to hurt me or help me? And, and we know that there can be freezing dates and other things. So, and we won't get into that right now. And those are questions I know that you can answer. One that I do want you to answer is, I, again, I have an example of this, but like if my wife makes $400,000 a year, Mm-hmm. and I stay home with the kids and I move out and I want to get my own house, but I have no income. How long does it take before I can start getting income from my wife to pay my bills? If you need it and you're an emergency situation, almost right away. 
We can file uh, for an emergency temporary order of spousal maintenance and or child support. So sometimes the money spouse, the person who's making the money, will continue to pay the expenses of their spouse who's moved out. And if they're doing that, sometimes that ends up being more than what they're going to get in child support and maintenance. So we just say ride that out as long as you can. But if it gets to a situation where you're cut off, you've moved out, or even if you haven't moved out, you're cut out, cut off, they're stopping your credit cards, they're taking you off joint accounts, contact your attorney right away because there are emergency petitions that can be filed and support can get flowing, you know, sometimes within 24 hours. Yeah, this stuff is, I'm just listening to it and it's, it's a lot like financial plan. It's, it's just overwhelming. So, and I actually just did an episode on this and like, we don't even know what we don't know and people have right. their opinions on this. So and you hear from my friend did this in his divorce and you know how this goes. It's like, it's not even, yeah, it doesn't apply. Don't, don't listen to your <laughs> friends. Don't Google. Yeah. I mean, go on my website, check out some blogs, look at other reputable sources and then just come in and talk to me or talk to somebody else. That's the only information you should really be relying on. Yeah. And it's someone that represents you. So I, I could ask you these questions all day because I've been doing this long enough where I've seen it all, but we talked briefly at the beginning and this will be the last question is, about mediation yeah. in, in the intro, what does that mean versus divorce or how does your firm work with mediation? Right. So we have the option here to do litigation, which means client hires me, spouse hires somebody else. Almost always we work it out outside of court, but we have the threat of litigation there if we need it. And sometimes that's the most efficient way to do it because when you have that threat of being put in front of a judge, maybe they're more willing to negotiate. Really, the reason I started doing mediation here at Bates Family Law was client-driven. I had a lot of clients calling and asking about it, and it was kind of something that we decided to offer based on clients wanting to do it more and more. So in that process, there's one professional in my office. It's typically not me. It's typically the mediator that works here full-time, and that professional sits down with both parties in a series of meetings until they're able to work out all of the issues. And once they've decided on all the terms of their divorce with the mediator, he turns that over to me and I'll put all those terms into the legal papers that's needed to divorce the parties. Got it. And the um, thing with mediation, Dave, you know, it requires both parties buy-in. Okay. It requires some level of, yep. you know, amicability between the parties, some level of cooperation, a little bit of trust that nobody's getting screwed over. It's not a process for everyone, but it is something that we offer if, if everybody wants to try that. That's awesome. Is there anything else that I should be asking you? I, I think we're good. By the way, I try to keep these podcasts to the regular commute time in Rochester, which is 22 <laughs> minutes. And we're right on it. So, <laughs> hey, Allison, you know, I, could, I could talk to you all day. I, I know clients all day. There's so much information. <laughs> I know. People can call me. They can contact us through the website. They can come in. We can do phone, Zoom, any type of meeting they, they want. I would really just say, try not to get overwhelmed. Let's look at one issue at a time. We try to feed people information in a way that they can understand it and retain it. And um, like I said, people, people every time tell me they feel better after just one meeting. Yeah. So how, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they need to? So they can call the office, uh, 585-433-4661. And that contact information is also on the website, BatesFamilyLaw.com. You can also email me directly right from the website. I'm an over-communicator. I know attorneys have a reputation for not getting back to people. If you call me or email me, you'll hear back that same day or the next morning. I, I can say I know that that's true from firsthand experience. Not, not for my divorce, but from, <laughs> not for your from divorce, Yeah, that's right. Yes, it is true. <laughs> Allison, that was awesome. And we're going to end it there. 
Listen to all of the episodes of our Six Point Financial Podcast. Dear Rochester, retire well by subscribing and sharing with the buttons on this page. I'm Dave Pulsini, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to the Dear Rochester, Retire Well podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Six Point Financial Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Content here is for illustrative and educational purposes only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analysis of Six Point Financial Partners. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, Private Client Services, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Six Point Financial Partners or RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services, Six Point Financial Partners, and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.